Tone Deaf is the journey of a musical theater nerd, bringing musicals into the life of their musically challenged spouse. The reactions to the musicals are real and mostly unedited. This show is rated explicit for mature content and strong language. Now sit back, relax, and have a laugh. You're listening to Tone Deaf. Welcome to Tone Deaf, a theater nerd's guide for their musically challenged spouse. I'm Kay, a musical theater nerd. And I'm Warren. I'm musically challenged. So thank you guys so much for all of your wonderful listenership because we have hit, I believe by the time that we post this, 2,800 downloads. So uh, that's pretty freaking awesome. I'm going to pat myself on the back because I'm sure I account for at least 10% of those with how much I listen to our show. <laughs> I mean, I will say there are a lot from Spotify. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it might it might be a lot of Warren, but still. <laughs> I, I choose I just, to I just believe. I mean, I'm, I'm married to Kay and I still can't get enough of listening to Kay talk and sing. So. Aw, I love you. I love you. So, yeah, thank you guys so much for listening and for uh, subscribing to our show, for reviewing our show on Podchaser and iTunes. Um, especially thank you to Ruckland, who has been supporting us so since, wonderfully. Since, like, since, day one. Yeah. Like, since day we, one we joined the Discord, Ruck's always been yeah. screaming into the void for us. Yeah, and uh, thank you to... Uh, new member of the discord gem uh who joined because of the death note episode yes which i, I wanted i wanted to gush yeah. a little bit because uh gem who uh, we've only talked to briefly but seems like a very awesome individual had joined discord and i'd asked so how how did you find out about tone deaf gem and uh they had mentioned that they just typed Death Note into Spotify and found our Death Note episode. It was like, hey, this is pretty good. And it made me squeal with joy because that was the episode that I wrote. Soon everyone will know Warren's genius. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I want to thank Reagan, who's freaking amazing and has provided some awesome resources for us for future episodes. And thanking Alex from Pomegranates and Pitchforks and just... We love you guys. Awesome people. We thank, love you all so much. Thank you all so very much yeah. for your continued support and just encouragement and just it 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 gives us warm fuzzies. Yeah, and, and we like warm fuzzies. So yes, thank you. we we love our warm fuzzies. And I wanted to give the thank yous right away to give us some warm fuzzies to lead into what we're going to be reviewing. This is going to be a punch in the heart, isn't it? Not really, oh. but more of just a. Ooh, it's a cringe. It's a bit of a cringe show. <sighs> it's going to be a cringe fest. Yeah, it's going to be a bit of a cringe fest. Um, I love cringe fests. I will say, though, that this show and doing the research for it led to me kind of slightly breaking our no theme November. <laughs> um, you, yeah, Kay did a, a mega deep dive on this and, and, uh, as things go, our conversations are very much like, okay, save it for the show. Yeah. Save it for the podcast. Don't, you know, I won't tell you stuff. Don't tell me stuff because that way. Yeah. You know, but yeah. There's going to be two episodes about this show. Oh. Especially because I found 
the version that I'm going to be talking about towards the end of my little presentation of the show <laughs> to you. Of your your uh, 20 point PowerPoint. Oh, Jesus Christ. This is the most notes I've ever <laughs> done. <laughs> and, there's a lot to say about yeah, there's Flower a Drum lot. Song. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so uh, we're doing Flower Drum Song. Which, when I was a kid, this was not one that my grandparents had me watch. And my grandparents had me watch a lot of Rodgers and Hammerstein, but this was not one of them. Why did I not... Uh, okay, you probably told me and I just forgot. I didn't know that your grandparents were big musical theater people. Well, they just... They did do theater in high school. Um, not musical theater, and there's a fun story with my grandfather... Um, <laughs> getting kicked out of choir class <laughs> because he uh so my grandfather was italian and he was i think it was the choir director had seen him and he had been doing a play or something and it was like oh well you're italian you can sing and papa's like no i can't sing and he's like sing or sing papa sing <laughs> and uh so papa tried to sing and he said get off the stage <laughs> you are a disgrace to italians oh your poor grandfather yeah so oh that's funny though yeah so that's that's you know the they're not they weren't big musical theater people but they did have an appreciation for movie musicals and for musicals in general and uh they were they and my mom were my biggest supporters when I was doing theater. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, but this is this is the one that they didn't have me watch. <laughs> o outside of a couple more that we're going to talk about throughout this, because they're kind the 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 dark ages of <laughs> Rodgers and Hammerstein <laughs> tie into this musical. Oh, I'm I'm. Yeah, I'm super excited. We're, we're gonna eventually do a deep dive on Roger Rogers and Hammerstein themselves, kind of like uh, I want to do with Sondheim and Weber and other uh, famous folks in musical theater. It's just that uh, this one kind of got into it a little bit more than I had intended it to. Yeah. <laughs> so, hence no theme November. Hence no theme November getting canceled a little bit. Um, we are going to sandwich this between a bonus episode, um, which we'll talk about to, a little bit later. But yeah, so on to Flower Drum Song. This is a Rogers Hammerstein musical, and it's based off of the book, The Flower Drum Song, which was written by Li Yang, or as he uh, ended up being known as in America, C.Y. Lee. Uh, this was Rodgers and Hammerstein's eighth musical together, and as I'm going to talk about in a little bit, they were in a rut musically. Uh, their last two shows hadn't gotten the reception that their past shows had gotten, and they needed to do something a little bit different. Mm. And I'll talk about that in a little bit because of the time period that this is being done. Um, but we're going to leave them here for a little bit in the doldrums. And we're going to talk about the novel and a little bit about Li Jinyang. So he was born in Jingtan, Hunan, China in 1915. The Hunan province. He and his eight brothers had achieved international fame. His eldest brother, Li Jinxi, was considered the father of the Chinese phonetic alphabet and was also Mao Zedong's teacher. 
Oh. And then Li Jinhui uh, was considered the father of Chinese popular music. So. Oh, so he comes from a very comes prestigious from a family. Very prestigious family, and Li uh, had gone to school at the National Southwestern Associated University in 1942, and that was where he earned his Bachelor of Arts. But the Second Sino-Japanese War broke out while he was there. So in 1943, he emigrates to the U.S. and then earns his Master of Fine Arts uh, from Yale, and he earned this in playwriting. Nice. So then he ends up in San Francisco, and he was working as a journalist for two of Chinatown's newspapers. He was also a translator and a Chinese teacher, and he was still barely getting by. Oh, damn. So yeah. he's working his ass off and just... Yeah. Uh, so he writes the Flower Drum song, and originally it's titled Grant Avenue, which is a street in San Francisco. Um, but he didn't have much success shopping it around. So his agents gave his book to the publishing house Farrar, Strauss, and Kudahy, and this is where they did the ritual that occurs at every publishing house, I assume. Does it involve a goat and a curved blade and some chanting and maybe a circle of salt? Let me tell you the ritual. So the ritual is thus. Give to super old man. Let super old man read it. If super old man dies and does leave a, no a note, do what the note says. In this case, the note said, read this. I'm not joking. <laughs> I'm gonna need a little more context about what happened. They gave the book to an old man, so like, like so, a like reader. Someone they wanted him to produce type of thing? Like... Just a reader, just figure out, hey, is anyone gonna like this? I know, let's give okay. this to this old white guy. Old white guy dies in bed. While reading while it? While reading it. Oh, but geez. leaves a note, read this. <laughs> so his dying wit, he's like, he's just laying there reading in bed and he's like, oh shit, I'm about to kick it. He's like, but people need to know that this is good. My last, <laughs> my last message to the living world before I pass on into the great beyond is read. Hey, hey, that, it was very important to him. It was on the, the front of his mind. And, yep. and Okay. So that is the ritual. All right, though. And... <laughs> That's what every publishing house does, I assume, uh, which explains things like Twilight and... Ooh. Okay. <laughs> Actually, maybe they didn't do the ritual, and that's why Twilight exists. <laughs> Enough Twilight bashing. So, <laughs> they, they did as the old man said and published Flower Drum Song um, in 1957, and... Or no, not 1957, goodness. Um... Oh, yeah, I think it was that year. But it, it became a bestseller in 1957 is probably what I was writing. So peel back the curtain. I was really tired doing this deep dive. <laughs> Kay spent a lot of time <laughs> researching. So I'm hoping that... <laughs> I'm hoping that my notes actually are coherent. You can you can kind of see where like the the clock ticked past midnight and yes. <laughs> oh God. So, um, but regardless of when it became a bestseller, it became a bestseller. And now, um, we'll get into this some more. But the story is different from the musical. Like how? Like completely different. So, characters are the same. But the book focuses on uh, 
Wang Chi Yang, who is a 63-year-old man. He escaped from communist China to San Francisco, and the story re revolves around him not wanting to assimilate into American culture while the rest of his family does. And so mm -hmm. it's, it's sort of like... Deep, it's sort of focusing on this older man. By the end of it, he ends up, like, throughout the novel, and I really want to read this novel now, um, he is shown as having this chronic cough and stuff, and he uh, refuses to see any Western doctors until the very end of the novel, where he goes into a Western clinic. Um, and... God, I, oh, it's, so. it, it's it's one of those things that though there are a lot of subplots in it like around his family and they the m musical focuses more on the subplot than on the actual story that's sort of this com sort of this conflict between which way is going to which way is this family going to go? Are they going to stay with their old roots? Or are they going to go into a more Americanized lifestyle, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Um, it's unfortunate they couldn't just go, hey, we can do both. Yeah, well, and it's, it's I don't know, at the time, and I'll get into it a little bit more later, um... The, it's it's an issue that comes up a lot with when you immigrate to a country. I mean, you know, you would see it with with uh, my mom's side of the family that immigrated from Italy. My grandfather didn't learn English until he was five, and he was born in the U.S. But but his just, family was all was, Italian, so that's yeah. what everybody was speaking around him. And... Yeah, and so it's like, do you keep that? Or do you try to assimilate so that you can be accepted more? And I, I, I noticed this too when um, I was teaching. We had a lot of refugee students and there was a little bit of like, hey, let's try and make these kids go completely American. And I'm like, well, but we should be celebrating. Like, I understand the fear of not wanting to portray a culture incorrectly if you're doing a cultural awareness day, but it's better to have the students talk about their own culture and educate other people than to just say, hey, you're American now, only do American things. Yeah, I mean, that's that's garbage. But it's like it's, people need to be able to Yeah, still... and so that's where some of the comp... Some of the comp... It, like, like Alex said about it it's complicated gotcha gotcha <laughs> to, to borrow from pomegranates and pitchforks it's complicated and dear god this musical is complicated mm. um so like i said the the book focuses on the dad the musical focuses on his son wang ta and oh, <laughs> so um i want to read this book i really do but, and who knows, maybe I can find a copy in between now and when we cover the revival um, <laughs> and just burn through it. <laughs> you are a very fast reader. Yeah. So we're going to head back to the musical 
and we're going to talk about its inception. So Oklahoma had been a huge success, as had Carousel and South Pacific. Fuck, Carousel. Yeah. Okay, continue. Um, but there were some flops for Rodgers and Hammerstein in the 50s. I'm amazed Carousel wasn't one of them. I know. I just... Well, and... So Carousel was a little bit earlier, and at the time that... That was around... Beating your wife was perfectly acceptable. Uh, no, it's more of... Certain shows that I'm going to bring up in a sec didn't exist yet. So, um, when their flops, Me and Juliet and Pipe Dream, came about, there were musicals on Broadway that you may know. West Side Story. Oh. My Fair Lady mm-hmm. and Music Man. Okay. I, and, I do know those three. <laughs> yes. And West Side Story challenged the status quo, and My Fair Lady and Music Man were insanely popular. And Rodgers and Hammerstein started to realize that they were going to be under pressure, and they got to a point where they were just churning out shows constantly. As soon as one show opened, they were working on another one. Oh, wow. So so was it in that period they were trying to go with what had mass appeal versus what was... Yes. Okay, what was more, uh, I don't want to say artistic, but more um, meaningful. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's kind of where they were at this point. And then um, this kind of became a recipe for disaster, specifically for Richard Rogers. And so... They ran out of musicals to write after Pipe Dream. And Rogers slipped into alcoholism and depression. Oh, And he then, and so they were working on the televised performance of Cinderella, which came, uh, or which was broadcast, sorry, on March 31st, 1957. And Rogers had just had surgery to remove cancer in a tooth socket. And he was spiraling. So in June of 1958, he, or not 1958, goodness, in June of 1957, he checked into a psychiatric clinic for 12 weeks. But it didn't help with his alcoholism. So he was just still spiraling during this time. At the same time, Hammerstein goes to L.A. because he's there for the film production of South Pacific. And he runs into his friend, Joe Fields, who was trying to secure the rights to Flower Drum Song. Hammerstein reads it, and he considered it a sort of Chinese life with father, which is a play about this man's aging father. His life life with his father. Yeah, and so uh, Hammerstein goes, we need to make this our next musical, and presented it to Rogers, who who agreed. And um, Hammerstein began writing in 1958. And then in July of that year, he was hospitalized with an illness for a month, which rushed in the writing and postponed the show's tryouts from September to October of 1958. So they kept uh, the theme of handling the conflict between the old world immigrants and their new world offspring, but they decided that focusing on the sun would work better for the musical. Okay. And they removed the darker stuff from the novel, including the suicide of a character who in the musical is just an unrequ- a woman who has an unrequited love for Ta. So, oh. yeah. 
<laughs> okay. Yeah. It's complicated. And instead of uh, her having a fling with him and then being abandoned because he realizes he's not really that into her and so she commits suicide in the book, that's not in the musical. And then they played up the romantic subplots a lot more and added in a nightclub subplot. And yeah, it's... it's n- I would say it's closer to fan fiction of the book. (laughs) I was going to joke and say it's the Hollywood equivalent of based on true events type of thing. Yeah, based on a story. (laughs) Based on the works of someone's Yeah, loosely based. Um, I mean, it's not loosely based. It's just, well, anyway. So um, they wanted Yul Brenner, who was uh, the king and the king and I, to direct, but he was busy with 20th Century Fox's The Sound and the Fury. So instead, they grabbed uh, tone-deaf alumnus Gene Kelly to direct. (laughs) (laughs) Gene Kelly had never directed for stage. So I wonder how that went. And he, well, we'll we'll see. He knew that this wasn't going to be in Oklahoma, so this wasn't going to be a big success. And here's what he had to say. As long as I crammed the show brimful of every joke and gimmick in the book, I could get it to work. Oh, God. I, uh, And this was written in uh, 58? Mm-hmm. So he's just like, all the stereotype humor. Yeah, this is where we're... It, mm, this is, this yeah, is where... Okay, yeah. That's, it goes off the rails. Uh-huh. But um, before we get to the rails that it gets off of... <laughs> We're going to talk about the casting because this is where it's, this is where the super complicated part of this comes in because this is revolutionary for theater at this time. This is one of the few shows that actually cast Asian actors to play Asian characters. At the time, you didn't have very many Asian actors and there were very few opportunities for them. And Rodgers and Hammerstein wanted the cast to be mostly Chinese or of Asian descent. They did not want to do yellow face. I commend and, them for not wanting to do that. In fact, in the original cast, like, of named characters, only two are played by someone who's not of Asian descent. And we'll All get right. into that in a sec. Um, so... And at this time, people are doing yellow face all the time Just left for and theater. Right. Yeah, it's 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 despicable that they're doing this and they're not providing these opportunities and they're fucking mocking Asian people. And Rogers and Hammerstein are trying really hard not to. So, uh, sorry, question is going to show my ignorance on the subject. Was blackface still very prevalent then? Mm-hmm. Okay, so it was, it, it was. It was. It wasn't like they were substituting one for the other. It was like they were still just. Oh yeah, no. It was okay. This was before uh, it became accepted that white people weren't the only people who were people. <laughs> <laughs> There's still some debate about that today. Uh, I mean, yeah, yeah. So um, a point's going to go to Rogers and Hammerstein uh, for the casting for being decent fucking people in this regard. Agreed. And the show tried really hard to paint Chinese people in a better light than current media of the day. But there's still issues. So, and we'll get to them. Uh, and you'll see them when we do the show. So you could almost say that it was a forward-leaning product of its time? Yes. Okay. Which, 
tends to be the case with them because they try. They really try. <laughs> they try, but they're like, we don't want to be so progressive that we alienate the audience of today's yeah. world. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's. It's like you want to give them props, but at the same time, you're like, you could have, you could have pushed the envelope a little yeah. bit farther. Yeah. Uh, no, and like, it's complicated. Like, it's complicated. <laughs> so our original cast is going to include Miyoshi Umeki as Mei Li, uh, and she had won Best Supporting Actress for her work in the movie Sayonara opposite Marlon Brando. Uh, Key Luke, who was a Chinese actor who was the original Kato from The Green Hornet as Master Wang, who is the dad and protagonist of the novel. Uh, Patrick Adiarte, who's a Filipino-American actor as Wang San, who is Ta's brother. Uh, Pat Suzuki, who was a survivor of the Japanese internment in World War II, Ooh. plays Linda Lowe. And then things get tricky. <laughs> because at this time, four other shows on Broadway needed Asian actors as well. So suddenly the, the supply of actors dried up. So they started a nationwide search. <laughs> um, they were able to get Hawaiian singer Ed Kenny to play Ta. Um, in San Francisco, they found Goro uh, Jack Suzuki, who you may know as Jack Sue. He was in Barney Miller, um, and he plays Frankie Wing. And uh, then they cast the director, the uh, choreographer's husband, who was white, as Sammy Fong, and then Juanita Hill, who was a light-skinned black actress who previously had been in South Pacific as a Vietnamese woman as Madame Liang. They did what they, they could did with what, what they, they had. They did what they what they had. So, well, yeah, yeah, okay. And by, <laughs> by the end, um, the uh, white guy who was playing Sammy Fong was replaced by Jack Sue. Okay. And so... By the end of the run, it, it wasn't quite as... Because by the end of the run, the other shows on Broadway had closed. So they were able to snatch <laughs> so up their actors. They were able to snatch up their actors. Um, so here's a bit from Rogers regarding the casting from the book Musical Stages. What was important was that the actors gave, gave the illusion of being Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> this demonstrates one of the most wonderful things about theater audiences. People want to believe what they see on a stage, and they will gladly go, go along with whatever is done to achieve the desired effect. They will suspend their disbelief. Ask them to accept Ezio Pinza as a Frenchman in South Pacific, Yul Brenner as, and his, his words, Siamese, um, and they are prepared to meet you nine-tenths of the way, even before the curtain goes up. Uh, yeah, I mean, he, he has a point there. I mean, he has a point there. Mm -hmm. He's just like, people are coming to the show because they want to have their, they mm -hmm. want to see it, and they're suspending their disbelief to, yeah. to be engaged with the story being told. And they're trying. They're, they're really trying. trying. <laughs> they're really trying hard. So it's, it's complicated. So Hammerstein couldn't attend the first rehearsals because of his illness, and Richard Rogers is dozing off because of alcoholism. 
And then Hammerstein's son snitches on Gene Kelly because Gene Kelly had no fucking clue what he was doing directing the show. Oh, God. So Hammerstein had to basically go, okay, I guess I'm going to be coming in even though I'm still sick to supervise this shit. What makes me laugh about that is he, he couldn't get somebody who... Could at least be an assistant to to Gene Kelly to be like, I think hey. he had faith. Maybe. I, then I don't know much about Gene Kelly. Maybe he's the kind of person who wouldn't take direction well. He's like, no, I'm in charge. Yeah, I'm listen. not sure. So who, who knows? Because I know that some directors have very much that attitude of, no, I'm in charge. We're doing yeah. it the way I say. Yeah. Even if they have no clue what they're doing. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. Um... So there are quite a few revisions at this time um, leading up to the Boston tryouts with uh, some songs being cut, others being reworked. Um, one song, Don't Marry Me, was written in a few hours. <laughs> Stuff like that. Oh, so it's, it's like if I produced a musical and I just... <laughs> so see, you can produce a musical like Rodgers and Hammerstein. I can half-ass my way to success. That's... <laughs> That, that, oh, oh, that is the, oh, that's the, that's the, uh, the embodiment of white privilege. I can half-ass my way to success. Well, I guess you gotta be born rich. If you're born rich, you can half-ass your way to success. Because you're already there. Oh my god. Oh man, so, the Boston tryouts were successful. And the show was really well received, so it was Broadway bound. Nice. So the first performance on Broadway was December 1st, 1958, and C.Y. Lee was surprised at how well the audience responded to his show. And um, the show sold out constantly. The album reached similar sales to earlier Rodgers and Hammerstein collaborations. Oh, wow. It ran for 600 performances and outlasts the other shows with Asian casts on Broadway at the time. And this success pulled Rogers out of his depression. Cool. That's good. And he states in his autobiography, The entire experience of working on Flower Drum Song was rewarding in many ways, not the least of which was that it convinced me that I had overcome all traces of my depression. My only thought was to keep on doing what I was doing, and I saw nothing in the future that could stop me. Awesome. I'm glad that he was able to to shake that imp off his back. Yeah. It's hard. It's really hard, and so it's good he was able to for this. Um, London got Flower Drum Song in 1960. They didn't have as many Asian actors, (laughs) but it was still well-received, so... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm just sitting here, like, wondering, like, uh, were they just grabbing, like, Indian... I don't, I don't know, I don't know. Quick, grab the other Asians. God. And then uh, the national tour was in 1960, and this was also really well received. And then the movie happened. Oh. That's the version we're seeing today. Mm. Here's some snippets of reviews without spoilers. (laughs) Okay. So this is from Bosley Crowther of the New York Times. In short, there's nothing subtle or fragile about this flower drum song. It's gaudy and gaggy and quite melodic. Along those lines, it is quite a show. Gaudy, gaggy, and quite melodic. That is an interesting description. 
because he's saying that like the music's good like it's got catchy stuff to it but oh my god is it mm -hmm. a bit of a trial to watch mm -hmm. wow variety says much of the fundamental charm grace and novelty of rogers and hammerstein's 1958 broadway hit flower drum song has been overwhelmed by the sheer opulence and glamour with which Ross Hunter is translated to the screen. As a film, it emerges a curiously unaffecting, unstable, and rather undistinguished experience. That's a glowing review if I've ever heard one. <laughs> and they also go on to say, as in most Rodgers and Hammerstein ex enterprises, the meat is in the musical numbers. <laughs> there are some bright spots in this area. But even here, the effect isn't overpowering. The meat is in the musical numbers. Mm -hmm. I like that. Yep. And then we have David H. Lewis, who wrote a book, The Flower Drum Songs, because I need to buy, which is a book that I need to buy because I want to go on a deeper dive. Um, Uh-oh. <laughs> he calls it a bizarre pastiche of limping mediocrity. <laughs> <laughs> and and oh, since this show has not been revived or performed much, which I'll talk about in a second. He says, This film would, in future years, come to stand for the stage musical it's so crassly misrepresented. Oh, wow. This was the only Rodgers and Hammerstein movie to lose money. Oh, that is... Oh, man, that sucks. They had such a good run on stage and it was so popular mm -hmm. and everybody really liked it and then they are so on paper it seems like yeah of course let's make a movie of this it'll be great and mm -hmm. then it just crashes so hard it buries itself yeah oh and, and did he go back into a depression after that and it, i didn't see anything about that okay. but i don't think he did that's good um, I'm, I'm glad that didn't cause him to go into another spiral of alcoholism yeah because so the thing is, the reason why we're doing this is because this is kind of what we have for the original Flower Drum song. Yeah, because there's no... no. Yeah, I'll get into uh, what what most people would see now in a sec. Okay. But um, you'll also have to see the good, the bad, and the ugly about musical theater because musical theater history is at a complicated mess of beauty and horror and disgusting chauvinism and racism but then also progressive ideals and realizing that you did wrong by your old ideas and trying to make amends i mean that's musical theater it almost sounds like just the story of civilization in general like the, yeah the, the, the progress of that it's like oh we're doing terrible things but we're realizing that we're doing terrible things let's stop doing terrible things yeah so in 1961 this was licensed for regional productions which were not long lived because there weren't as many asian actors available and active at the time and here's a little bit of anger that i have because rogers and or because uh Oscar Hammerstein, he had his views on why he thought that this was so difficult to find Asian actors. He believed it was because they were more shy and thus less likely to act. But I posit that if you don't see yourself getting cast in shows in the first place, then you're less likely to see that as an option. Yeah. And also, Hammerstein, theater exists in every culture because humans like drama, damn it. <laughs> 
that's, that makes me laugh that he says that because it's exactly the point you made. It's like th- we've been doing uh, theater and drama and storytelling mm-hmm. for as long as there's been record of humans. Yeah. No, there is theater in every culture. Don't give me that bullshit, Hammerstein. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and again, it's like if you don't see yourself getting cast in things, like if you don't see people who look like you on stage, you're less likely to see that as a valuable option. It makes sense. Yeah, it's... it's Then, with the 60s, comes the realization that Flower Drum Song is a bit problematic. <laughs> By the late 60s, the show is a rare show. People were starting to realize that white people weren't the only people who were people, and they started realizing that the portrayal of Asian Americans in this was a bit insensitive and patronizing. The plot was also recognized as not being good. Like, just sort of like, oh wow, this is a flimsy-ass plot, and this isn't like past Rodgers and Hammerstein shows. That's so funny, though, that like, because it was so successful at the time that it was being done, and then mm-hmm. they jump forward, like, a, that was about a decade? Mm-hmm. A decade, and then they're like, oh god. Oh, oh shit. <laughs> what have we done? I can't believe I liked this. Yeah, so um, we have a really good article from the LA Review by Heidi Kim that kind of goes into detail on some of the complicated stuff about this show. Um, detail, you say? Yes, because uh, one of the one of the big things was the, the one of the biggest plot points that we're going to be seeing it deals with undocumented Chinese immigrants. Oh boy! And there was a fear of a spread of communism from China into the U.S. So you can see where Red Scare stuff. Yeah, you can see kind of where that went and. Um, she even compares uh, this period of time to what's happening currently. Um, and she states about this background and how it relates to uh, Flower Drum Song, saying uh, that it addressed this issue by introducing and centralizing an illegal immigration plotline, forever cementing the issue of race-based immigration policies in their sunny and splashy vision of quaint Chinatown life. And then um, she talks about the Boston revisions and plot lines centering around Mei Li. The drafts of Flower Drum Song reveal the constant revision during the troubled tryout period in Boston, in which Hammerstein and Fields could not find an adequate resolution to the problems that they had raised by inserting illegal immigration into this plot. Because this was not a plot in the book. Oh, Oh, okay then. Yeah. So in this tone... The musical, which is quite splashy, does not take the issue of illegality particularly seriously. The film version plays the Lees' covert entry for laughs as they stow away in crates on a ship to San Francisco. Um, There are also some lines in the show that are going to be racist against Mexican immigrants, so prepare to cringe, babe. Yay! I love racism. It's my favorite thing in the world, which is why I married a... (laughs) Black woman. So, and like I said, this wasn't in the novel. The novel didn't... Uh, Why why do you... 
this is just, that's like an example of when they adapt something and they're like, let's shoehorn in a bunch of shit that doesn't need to be in it. Yeah, and I kind of wonder if they thought that it would be a way to be like, oh, see, we're tackling issues like West Side Story did, but it's like, but West Side Story knew what it was doing. <laughs> yeah. West Side Story, they actually, you know, they, they actually listened and I don't know. But then, then we're going to get into some more complicated stuff in a sec. So in 1983, a revival was mounted and the producers wanted to make it more sensitive to the issues that Chinese immigrants faced in the 1930s which they reiterated this is what it's set in. Um, the, and they wanted to make it more sensitive to these issues than the original musical, and they removed a lot of dialogue. They removed songs like Chop Suey. And then the producers uh, had said, you know, that they were basically removing things in the show that Asians said to make white people laugh. I knew that I would like that's when that's what they were talking about when he yep. said if I threw in every yep gag or joke I was like you're just you're just pandering to stereotypes to get yeah. a chuckle out of yeah audiences uh however CY Lee is still alive at this time okay and he actually gave an interview to defend his work okay I couldn't find it yet but I want to do a deep dive so <laughs> that's going to happen so like I said this is complicated. <laughs> so 1996 comes around, and Chinese-American playwright David Henry Huang decided to revive the musical after seeing the revival of The King and I. And he stated things that resonate with me uh, regarding other early shows and made me go, I can see why this is complicated. Because, uh, reg yeah, regarding Flower Drum Song, he acknowledges that it's problematic, but he says, it was kind of a guilty pleasure, and one of the only big Hollywood films where you could see a lot of really good Asian actors on screen singing, dancing, and cracking jokes. Yeah. And that's where it's like, I can see now why, for some people, this is still... It's a valid perspective. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, Ted Chapin, who was president of the Rodgers and Hammerstein organization... Um, had said, oh, I've been approached by this uh, playwright to revive this. And then um, he, he even said about Flower Drum Song that it was a naive, old-fashioned, anti-feminist story with a truly great, store. It's, er, truly great score. It's one that needs changes. And so then he revealed Huang publicly to be the playwright that wanted to revive the musical, and so in 1997, C.Y. Lee gave his approval to the rewrite. Okay. Huang was allowed to change the dialogue, but not the lyrics. And so the show became something completely different from what's originally produced in the 50s. So the dialogue, but not the lyrics. So basically he was like, you can change everything but the songs. Yes. And the songs on their own... So this show doesn't seamlessly work the songs into the dialogue. <laughs> it's not... It, it's not Oklahoma, is the best way to put this. So it's not okay. It's not okay. Um, Huang ended up keeping character names, setting, and some of the relationships, but he made the plot closer to the 1958 musical. Okay. Or not musical, uh, sorry. The 1957 novel. 
um, than the 1950 musical was. So he went, musical plot, not even close to this. This is going to be like the novel. He was trying to get it more close. He was trying to get it more to the source material. Yes. And so it went back to being a story about a generational struggle rather than a love story. Um, Chinatown in this version is not a colorful, uh, overly dramatized view, but it's more gritty and realistic. Um, it's more cynical. It's not a flowery musical at all. Um, is it more portrayed as a slum? It's more portrayed as a difficult place to live. Not necessarily a slum, but more just the hardships that C.Y. Lee had to face living in Chinatown. Um, that's what he went for. was Because it's not a slum, but it is difficult life. Slum might have been the wrong word for me to use, but just, just they wanted to portray it as... Uh, kind of like the uh, the poor side of a town, like it's harder to live yeah. in. Yeah, and so um, that's, and you know, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, that's more interesting to see, is seeing it the way it actually would have been. Um, there was a New York, art, New York Times article that I couldn't access the full article, so I had to get the snippet from Wikipedia and I'm annoyed. <laughs> um, but Brent Brantley says in it, Huang has res reshaped the story to el yeah, elucidate, good God, uh, two of his own abiding thematic interests. The idea of the theater as a prism for society and the general generational clashes of diversely assimilated immigrants. Hmm. Okay. So this show's well-received until its October 2002 Broadway debut, where critics pan it. Oh, the revival God. ended up closing after 169 performances, and everybody that backed it lost money. Uh, Nevertheless, this is the version that you will see nowadays, Okay, if it's performed. The other one is still licensed, but most people choose this one. Because it it's just better, objectively yeah. better. They've removed yeah. more of the... It, well, it sounds like the, he tried his best to remove as much of the racist tropes as he could. Yeah. And just brought it back to... To what, its source to material. Its source. Okay. Which makes sense. Like, if you're going to do a production, especially nowadays, like yeah. you would want the one that doesn't... And <laughs> that's the version that we're going to cover next week. Okay. Because I found a high school performance of this version of Flower Drum Song. Okay. And the version so. we're watching today is the movie? Mm-hmm. That everyone hated. Yep. So we'll get to compare and contrast the two. <laughs> Sounds good. I look forward to it. Um, this show won exactly one award across <laughs> every version. <laughs> oh. Okay. Is it, was it the same award every time? It, no. Literally one award. Oh, just... Period. Period. Just one oh. revival movie, everything out of all of that at one one award. You're gonna make me guess, huh? Yes. Best score? Nope. Okay. <laughs> it's it's a console. It, well, not a consolation prize because this is a very important part. But when you're like the theater going public, or not theater going public, but the un unwashed masses. Is, is it best new show? No. Okay. <laughs> If you're not into the theater scene, you don't care about this award, and this is one of the ones that they do during the commercial break. Best Conductor and Musical Director. 
okay. So not even one that not best scenery, not best acting, not best sound design, not no. No. Best conductor. <laughs> That's it. Best thing you don't even see. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> well, you know, um, at least they won an award. Yeah. Yeah. So there's there's that. Yay for validation from strangers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so with all that being said, are you prepared? Oh am I prepared? Well, I have prepared my twelve point presentation on why I'm not prepared, but <laughs> I didn't prepare it, so I guess we, we can Okay. Go. Yeah, we'll uh we'll go Watch Flower Drum Song because it is free with our Prime subscription. Yay! I'm so glad that I don't have to pay anything extra to see this movie. <laughs> Unlike fucking Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm still mad that I had to buy that. Yeah. Or not buy, I had well, to rent it. God damn. Like, I don't want to support this. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Oh, boy. Yep. So let's let's go watch... I do, so I do have a question that mm -hmm. you may not have an answer to. Mm -hmm. Why is it flower drum song? What is a flower drum? I'm not sure if it references the wedding stuff in this or not. I'm not 100% sure. Okay. I am... Because I, I will admit right now, I am not versed in Chinese culture at all. I do know that that is the original title, or that is the title that C.Y. Lee uh, landed on for okay. the book, I, I but just, I don't know where it comes from. That is okay. I was just curious if in your research they ever no, said No, I, I didn't. You'd think that I would have gone into that because I would have been like, Warren's going to ask. <laughs> Warren's going to ask a dumbass question that doesn't really matter. By the time that I was finishing finalizing notes, it was already the next day. Because <laughs> <laughs> I just went further and further down that rabbit hole. That's okay. Alrighty. Alright. All right. Let's, uh, let's grab our coffee because I'm going to need it. Agreed. And then let's uh, jump into this. folks, we wanted to take a quick moment to thank our Patreon sponsors. Thank you to our stage crew sponsors, Jasmine Wu and Reagan, and our producer circle sponsor, Bianucci. This week, we get the honor of reading a special message that Bianucci wanted us to read on the show as part of her producer circle benefit. The message is as follows. Happy gotcha day, Sophie. I am so glad that we found each other. Thank you for all of the laughs and love over the past three years. But please, stop screaming at my son-in-law. After all, he is the only person on whom you've drawn blood. And that was to be read after November 7th. Yes, Sophie, please stop biting Bianucci's son-in-law. <laughs> so thank you all 
so much for your continued support of our show. We truly appreciate it. Now, let's hear a word from one of our favorite shows, History on Blast. Hello, and welcome to History on Blast. I'm Hillary, and I'll be your host as we call out history. Every other week, we'll be putting a different person, place, time, or event on blast for the shit that they pulled. This ain't your grandpa's history podcast, so if this sounds like your cup of harbor tea, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast catcher. And now, the lights are going down and the music is starting back up, so let's hop into the second act of the show. Alright, let's do this. Okay, so welcome back, folks. I want to preface this review with saying that A, I mispronounced the first name, or the last name of the family the whole time of the uh, introduction, which was a mistake because I forgot that my husband is a very well-meaning idiot. Yeah. So the family's name is Wong, and I, re- I realized that instantly when we started watching it. And then I hear Warren joking, or not joking, but laughing throughout the show. And two and, and you know, two and two didn't come together in my brain. Because of the last name of the family and how it's spelled versus how it's pronounced. Yes, so... I leaned into the Wang humor a bit, and Kay had to fill me in. Hey, you know that's actually been something that uh, Chinese immigrants have had to struggle with and deal with in America. Yeah, is with, with, with discrimination is people... Making fun of the names. Yeah, and stuff like that. But... Kay didn't stop me soon enough. Yeah. And I wrote all of my notes with uh, Wang humor. I don't ever look at Warren's notes because I'm blind as a bat and I can't see farther than a foot in front of me. So I I guess I have to say, <laughs> take this idiot's jokes. Because uh, I don't with, know what they are. <laughs> with well-meaning intent, I guess, is the best way to put it. Uh, to preface, subtitle, I am very sorry to the Chinese-American community for my stupidity. And I am aware of it now. But I, I thought my... I was laughing my ass off when I was... Some of these jokes fucking wrote themselves because of the show. Oh, God. So I think we lean into it, and I can be criticized afterwards, and rightfully so. And I will... I will, uh... I will accept my punishment. Okay. So, babe, with that being said, what did you think of Flower Drum Song? It's a hundred million miracles that 
this movie... The movie wasn't very good, in my opinion. Um, yeah. So I, I'm more excited to see the stage version of it next mm-hmm. week. So, the, but I, sh- I should say the movie wasn't a bad movie. No, it's not, not the worst thing we've seen. Uh, but I, I did get annoyed with some of the plot devices. Uh, but the music for me might have actually been one of the weakest. Uh, aspects of this show mm-hmm. um, aside from a hundred million miracles I don't think anything is gonna stick in my brain you lucky lucky man a hundred million miracles yeah I I in rewatch well not rewatching I've heard three of the songs from this show before out of context of this show which reminds me a lot of Zippity Doodah. <laughs> this is this is kind of a similar thing because I heard I enjoy being a girl, and uh, other generation, and hundred million miracles outside of the context of this show. Um, other generation was in a uh, compilation CD. So, for those of you who are younger, Kids Bop was not always a thing. <laughs> there was another group that was Broadway Kids, and that was what I had. Oh, and oh yeah, I remember you talking about that. They covered Other Generation, and I did not put two and two together that that was the same song when I was looking through the notes on this. I actually <laughs> did like Other Generation. A, yeah. Like, that, that, one, that one was, a, it was a, a pretty good song. Um, I don't think it... I'm going to remember really much of it just because mm-hmm. of how uh, musically inept my brain is. But 100 no Million Miracles was, was just catchy enough that my brain was like, let's let's uh, convert time and energy into... Into remembering in, this. Into pouring experience into your neurons for this. So whenever your uh, brain is doing the idle screensaver, you're going to have a hundred million miracles. Yep. Just going through... Do, 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 do. So, uh, in classic musical movie fashion, they do all of the credits at the beginning, so Mm -hmm. it has a very long, uh, intro, Mm -hmm. and after a very long, very colorful Chinese art-inspired intro, which honestly I felt like, uh, just went on and on and on, we are finally treated to our opening live-action shot, the Golden Gate Bridge, a ship and a woman, wide-eyed and wonderstruck by the scene of San Francisco. The amazement is cut abrupt by the sound of footsteps above, as the woman and her father, I assume, rush away from the window and into the crate they were hiding in. The ship docks, and the crates containing our stowaways slide down a ramp and crash into each other, uh, crash into each other, leaving the offloaders to wonder, uh, if that was the sound of someone smuggling themselves off a ship or indigestion from lunch. That joke sounded better when I was typing it out because <laughs> in that scene, the crates are sliding off of the ship and, you know, slide, crash, and then the first one containing Maylee slide, ah, and then the one with her father, ah, mm-hmm. and the two workers look at each other, say stuff in Chinese, and all it says is speaking Chinese, so we have no idea what they say. Yeah. But then one of them, like, touches his stomach, mm-hmm. and it implies, like, oh, that must have been me farting, or maybe it was my stomach grumbling, and it sounds like a woman screaming. So Fart humor. Fart it's... humor. I mean, well, I mean, 
It's not it's not that much below Richard humor. Mm-hmm. True. They're very closely related. True. About two inches apart. Um, God damn it. The daughter-father duo sneak out of their crates on the dock and into San Francisco. And immediately into traffic, the daughter leads her father away from the angry taxi driver and onto the sidewalk. The duo are in a strange land and have and have an address that they don't know the way to. The father dissuades the daughter from asking for directions as they are illegal and do not want to draw unnecessary attention to themselves. They decide the best incognito approach is to bust out a gong and a flower drum and give a performance to strangers on the street in the hopes of making a little bit of money for a bite to eat. Yep. And aside... Holy fuck is a hundred million miracles a catchy tune. Kay was like, this song will be stuck in my head forever. And I'm like, oh, it's not that catchy. Cut to me in my stupid brain. A hundred million miracles. <laughs> as one might assume, oh, sorry, as one might suspect, their attempts to avoid notice by the authorities are negated by their performance. As the local law enforcer is like, I need to see a permit for your hundred million miracles, and approaches the bu and approaches to be a buzzkill. The duo gives the address, uh, gives him the address, and he's unable to read it. A kindly stranger is able to read the Chinese writing and address it and the address and directs them along with the officer to the Celestial Garden, a club owned by Sammy Fong. The officer begins escorting the duo to Sammy's and asks where they are from. It's obvious this chap will never make detective and will, with, that, with that sharp of a mind. He gives the duo a sneer when he finds out they're from back east, not New York, further east. Lousy immigrants. He doesn't say that, but everybody, like, that's the thing. In this scene, everybody in this section of San Francisco is Asian. They are, you know, mm -hmm. assume they're Chinese immigrants. A lot of them, and every time they come to someone, oh, I don't speak Chinese or I don't read Chinese, yeah. but they you know, uh, are of Chinese descent. And so this cop to, like, have this attitude, I'm just like, you douche. Like, get whatever. So not so fun fact. Like, sort of a fun fact because this show, the movie, um, had such a... Like, they did such a good job of casting as many Asian people as they could. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a fun fact. It was, you know, the first major Hollywood film to do that. It also was the last one until 1993 Holy to do shit. that. And that was the Joy Luck Club. Wow, it's a big-ass gap. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, and this was a large Asian cast in an Asian-American story, so, yeah. Makes sense to have a, a lot of Asian But it's, it's the last one before, uh, they... Well you, know what, well, you know what they say, if you can't get enough Asian people to be actors, just get a bunch of uh, black ladies, and they can play Asian, apparently. Like, oh, man, with Juanita Hill. Yeah. That, that made me laugh with that. Okay. Officer, never gonna make detective, arrives at the Celestial Garden with the duo in tow, and asks to speak to Sammy. The Honorable Mr. Fong is initially like, I have no idea who these people are. But once he sees the picture bride picture, he's like, oh, yeah, I've been expecting them. Thanks, officer never gonna make detective. <laughs> Sammy takes the duo to their room and gets them some food. While Sammy bitches about what an inconvenience they've been to him, Mei Li's father is like, but you're still going to marry my daughter, right? Sammy's like, yeah, 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 sure, sure, once I take care of some old business. 
Unfortunately, old business is at the door listening and slams it in a rage. Sammy rushes out to reassure old business that he still wants to continue dallying with her. And not Mei Li. He just needs to pawn Mei Li off on someone else. To cool old business's rage, Sammy promises to buy her a car. I'd just like to say, fuck Sammy with an ox until the end of time. Sammy gives Mei Li's picture to his associate, Madame Leong, and is like, hey, does your brother-in-law want to buy a bride for his son? I got this extra chick that's fresh off the boat from China, and I need to get her married off right away. <laughs> that's pretty much what that scene that's is. That's pretty much what that scene is. Like, there is so much uncomfortable shit in this show with treating women like goddamn property. Mm-hmm. It, I, I have, I will rail, I will rail Mm-hmm. till the end of time with shit like that. Mm-hmm. And it happens multiple times in this show. Yep. Here, treat my daughter like a cattle. Inspect her. See that she is yeah. a prime breeding stock. I'm like, oh, all of you people, take a moment, step back, and fuck your own faces. The minute that something that I'm sure you're going to cover happens, uh, I got flashbacks to watching Django Unchained with you a little bit. Uh, well, so is it part you're talking about is it towards the very end uh that but also at the beginning it's it's the bit that gets repeated with okay. the okay uh we are given our first look at grumpy old master wang brother-in-law to madame leong old wang is an old school chauvinist and wants things under his roof to be done by his old chinese traditions including but not limited to all his children obeying his every whim Madame Liang is like, hey, I have a prospect for your son, Ta. Old Wang is like, does uh, does she come from a family with a high door? Which I guess means a nice family, a well-off family. Because yeah. I assume if you have a large house, your door would be larger. Something yeah. like that. The context implied that. So I'm just going with that. Mm-hmm. I don't know classical Chinese traditions or, or marriage Things. The most that I know is from the movie To Live, and it's been almost a decade since I've seen it. That's so. better than me. The most I know is from Mulan, so... Okay, fair, fair. <laughs> Old Wang decides he needs to go change uh, some money into smaller bills and pulls out a single Benjamin Franklin from under his bed. And holy fuck is Old Wang rich. Like, if that box was full of ones, he'd probably have a couple thousand dollars in that trunk. But Mm -hmm. luckily, it's safely under his bed, under lock and key, and I'm sure no one will break in and steal it at some point. Calling it now? Spoiler, I turn out to be wrong. That never happens. Anyways, (laughs) Old Wang goes out to make change for his Benjamin and gets robbed at finger point by a shady gangster figure. Who is the only white actor with a spoken line in this movie. Really? Yes. Wow. Yeah, you... Yeah. I think that's right. Mm-hmm. So this the shady white guy is hanging around Chinatown just robbing mm-hmm. Chinese people. Which, you know, the, <laughs> fucking the, asshole. But yeah, he robs him at finger point because after Old Wang changes money into smaller bills, he's going back to his house and the guy comes up behind him and points his finger into his back and he's acting like it's a gun. Like, ah, don't move. Kay is stifling a laughter. So what is it, my darling? Oh, how does a white people always stealing things and people? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't know what it is about 
European DNA, but we like to take shit that isn't ours. I don't know, including people. I don't. Yeah, when, when we we take and we make them things. That's that's how it works. I don't know why. I don't know why. It, <sighs> other cultures have done it too, but not to the same extent and not as well as we have. So, I yeah, mean, yeah. There's some some European heritage pride going on right there. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Uh, Old Wang gets robbed at finger point by a shady gangster figure in Old Wang's own doorway, no less. Old Wang is very upset and tells Madame Liang that he wants her to contact the authorities and request that two soldiers guard his house day and night. Liang kindly reminds him that in China, he was hot shit, but in America, he's moldy diarrhea. Before Old Wang can get too upset... More or less what she says. She's like, you're not in China anymore. You're not a you're not a lord in China. Like you can't demand I've never heard that phrase. Yes, you have, you just don't remember. I blocked it out, I guess. I stole that phrase from uh Cartoon Network's The Venture Brothers. Oh god, yeah, I blocked it out. Yeah, because there's a scene where the they try to scare two kids straight, they go to prison, and you got oh the I'm diversion right here. You got the monarch, he's like you think you're hot shit in a champagne glass, but you're moldy <laughs> diarrhea in a Dixie cup. You do that too well. The monarch! Ah, that kind of, nah, I didn't do that that well. Okay, you're going to have to edit that. Holy shit, is that an earthquake? We're on a new mic, too. We are on a new mic, so hopefully we s- sound awesome. Uh, before Old Wayne can get too upset... Uh, Sammy arrives to show off Mei Lee, and Old Wang inspects the prospective daughter-in-law like a piece of fucking meat. You're not a person, Mei Lee. You're a potential property. Old Wang is like, great, I'll get her to marry off. I'll get her married off to Ta right away. That scene is what made me suddenly go, ooh, this is going to set him off because... Just the checking the teeth. Oh and my the, god. Yeah, like, it, like, like a fucking was, horse. It was one of those things that... Cause I think that they did something similar in Django Unchained. Well, I mean, at they, one point, I've, I've seen movies where they do the slave auctions. Yeah, and they are inspecting them and looking. Like, it, it, I mean, it depends. And like, I was it, suddenly sitting there going, "Ooh." I've seen other movies where, like, usually some shady characters rounding up women because mm-hmm. he's gonna fuck one of them, and mm-hmm. he's like inspecting them. And yeah. yeah. That that's what it rem- is. Okay, okay. Yeah, th- this is one of Warren's big hot buttons. Is... <laughs> Believe it or not, I'm a feminist. Yeah. Um, so... I think you're more of a feminist than me. No, I don't know, because I would say that I've probably become more of a feminist after um, your wisdom and mm. stuff like that, because you're full of knowledge that uh, straight white men don't normally have mm, because. Fair. You'd only know what you know, and mm-hmm. if you don't have to go through shit, you're not necessarily aware that that shit exists. I mean, that's that's why I'm sitting here just smacking myself on the head for mispronouncing these names in the whole intro and going, I can't just go through and edit Wong and Leong, and, because it would just sound like it was edited in, but, ah, damn it. I have some pretty good Wang jokes in here, I am going to say. I'm very proud of some of them. Uh, oh my God. so I have this strange dichotomy of like being proud of myself and also ashamed mm-hmm. because of the, what you told me earlier. And yeah, I, it's just, mm-hmm. 
I'm just going to have to go with it, and this will just be a dark patch on my soul afterwards. Um, sorry, I get... Okay, there we go. Uh, great, I'll get her married off to Ta right away. Madame Leong reminds Old Wang that in America, people need to fall in love naturally. Old Wang agrees and gives it a week, gives Ta and Mei Li one week to fall in love before he forces his will upon them. Sounds like Utah. <laughs> yeah. Someone take Old Wang in hand and give him a good squeeze. Ha ha! Multicultural Richard humor. My capacity for dick jokes knows no bounds. <coughs> I almost made Kay spit water, so... Mm. Swallow, babe. <laughs> I almost died. It's a good thing I have that insurance policy. Oh, man. God. Uh, <sighs> while Old Wang is having Mei Li shown, uh, shown off to him... Young Wang, or Ta, is, 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 is on his college campus calling his crush. The singer, formerly referred to as Sammy's Old Business, turns out she's a singer, Linda Lowe, from Sammy's Club, and Ta Wang has a hard wang for her. He calls, <laughs> he, he gives her a call and asks her on a date, to which she agrees, and while she's getting ready for her wang date, she sings a stupid song about how she's a female female and is just all happy with how pretty she I thinks she is. I fucking hate that song. That was a very dumb song. I don't care for it at all. That, that's kind of the tone with a lot of these songs is I didn't find them memorable, catchy, or anything. Mm -hmm. So, And it also has our first Broadway acid trip of the film. Because there are a oh, lot of Broadway acid trips in this you movie. You are right. See, that one was such a mild acid trip, it didn't even register on my acid trip because uh, Linda Lowe, when she's getting ready for her date, she's basically wearing a towel, and then she like takes she has her underwear on and stuff, but then she's like marveling at her figure in her mirror mm -hmm. and uh, talking about how great she is and how happy she is to be a female female. And then you start to see versions of her reflected in the mirror that are in different clothing. Yeah. Just like her wearing different stuff. And that's the acid trip. But it's pretty mild compared to what the fuck happens later. Oh my god. Ta and Linda go on their wang date and drive up to Make Out Point overlooking San Fran Bay. The two make out in the car that Sammy bought Linda and try to smooth over the whole old business thing. But instead, Linda shows Ta the business with her wang skills, and the two decide to go steady. Ta pins his fraternity pin on Linda, ensuring that all other wangs know what wang she's chosen. I'm beginning to think that there are too many Wang jokes in this review, but I'm dedicated to my art, and I will not be deterred by bad taste or petty morality. Oh my god. So, so there's, a, there's a brief fleeting moment. I had some self-awareness when I was writing this, but I didn't know about the whole, like, actual discrimination about people having the last name of Wong. Uh, oh, and that's not the only one either. I know, I know. <laughs> I know, but but that's oh, the one that's relevant fuck. to this current moment of yeah. stupidity that your husband is uh, gorging himself on. <laughs> Ta sneaks home late after the night of what I assume was an evening with uh, being low with Linda. <laughs> Ta's wang sense is tingling, and he notices Mei Li, who is singing in the garden. 
The two meet, and Ta is like, ah, this is who my dad is picking out for me. Well, have a nice day, Meili. And he leaves. Meili misinterprets the meeting and is like, he likes me. He really, really likes me. I will make him a good wife. And I feel so goddamn bad. She has this song where she's singing about how she's beginning to like it, like, in America. Yeah. And she's the... She is... Meili is a perfect, delicate flower who needs to be protected. She is a cinnamon roll. She is good for this world. She, thank you. That's the that's the phrase I was looking for, and then my brain is full of Wang jokes, and so it couldn't uh, mm-hmm. grab the cinnamon roll reference. She is a perfect cinnamon roll, too good for this world. Uh, and she deserves to be in a better movie than this. Yeah, um, she does. Let's let's take her out of this one. <laughs> but she was actually one of the best parts of the whole movie. Is. Her her character is great, and the actress does a really good job with her. Yeah. And uh, what makes me laugh too is I'm like, man, her English is really good considering she's just off the boat from China. But I don't find out until later. Um, maybe it's talked about and I just missed it. But um, she is very well educated. Partly mm-hmm. because her father is a university teacher. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, that makes sense why her English is so good because she has mm-hmm. a academic for her father. Yeah. And she's basically been brought up and raised to be a high quality wife. Yes. That is her lot in life. Yep. <sighs> the good old days. Uh <laughs> Mei Li brings Old Wang breakfast in bed, and Old Wang approves, as Old Wang does of subservient women, unlike bossy and brassy women like Madame Liang, who barges in and is like, You're putting your money in a bank, you old goat. Come on, out of bed, let's go. Madame Liang has Mei Li help her hoist up Old Wang's money box out from under his bed, and Liang and Old Wang go to the bank to open an account. Old Wang decides to test the security system, which throws <laughs> everyone into a panic but ultimately convinces him that his money will be safe here. It's a great scene at the bank. Uh, might actually be one of my favorite scenes, mm-hmm. just because he's just an old prick. <laughs> and the uh, guy who's helping him is trying to show off how fancy the bank is. Look at that vault. Mm-hmm. He's like, ah, but I've seen robber movies. What if someone sticks you up? How will you protect my money? And then he's like, oh, well, every register has these buttons that alerts the police station and seals off the bank, basically. And Old Wang's like, oh, well, let's see. And he pushes it and just, you know, doors are closing automatically. Mm -hmm. Guys are coming out with guns and he's just standing there holding his money box like, all right, this is pretty good. Mm -hmm. So it was a great scene. But uh, Ta is on another Wang date with Linda, who is like, well, my brother is coming home and he really doesn't like how much of a whore I am, so we need to stop going steady unless you're willing to buy the cow. I know, I'll bring my brother to your graduation party and we can make our whole thing official with your father so you can continue getting your milk out of me. Or in me, giggity. Yeah. Hey, they're going steady. <laughs> you know that there's some milk exchange, okay? Damn. We have a couple odd scenes. Of people getting new... Cl- okay, sorry, not odd. We have a couple scenes of people getting new clothes. Old Wang complains about getting fitted for a suit. Young Wang is getting his graduation robe. And Mei Li is getting a fancy new dress. Mm-hmm. Everyone is enjoying the double graduation party. Young Wang from college and Madame Liang from her citizen citizenship class. We get the Chop Suey song, which... Eh... 
it's it's just about how she's both Chinese and American, mm-hmm. and the Chinese party turns into a swing dance party because chop suey. It's I don't know. There's a lot of scenes in this show that I'm kind of like this is a nothing scene. Yeah, I I'm I'm real I really am because that was the thing you're saying. The movie version was changed significantly from what was on stage, it, right? It, it or, at least, sounds... or, at least, or at least decently, but the revision is much more closely tied to the to source the material. Yeah. So I am, I'm more excited to see the stage show. Same. Because while the movie definitely had some entertaining points to it, mm-hmm. it's definitely pretty low on my favorite musicals we've reviewed. Other than Maylee, I, other than Maylee and Master Wong. I don't care about any other character um, in this movie. I like, thought uh, as Madame, much. I think I thought Juanita was fine. Uh, yeah, L- Leong's cool, but like out, out of the actual like, this is who we're following for the whole story. I didn't care about Ta. I didn't no. care about Linda. I didn't care about no Sammy. S- the one thing I'll say is Sammy can be entertaining. He can be, be entertaining. He can be entertaining but... because he's such a douchebag. Yeah, it's kind of like me. I can be yeah. entertaining sometimes because I'm a douchebag. Yeah, uh, I just I I I love that my wife just sits there and agrees. Yeah, you're a douchebag, honey. Ah, she tickled me. Um, but like I, I don't know. I'm I'm. I would have been more interested had the movie been about the dad or been about the generational issues more than the contrived love quadruple. Yeah, what a quin- a quintuple. Quin- it's a love quintuple. The love pyramid, whatever the fuck it is. Yeah, because um, we've got... Linda. The love onion, because it's multi-layered. Oh my god. <laughs> it's yes. multi-layered, it makes you cry because it tastes terrible, unless it's added with other things. Um, yeah. So there's actually something I'm going to mention, uh, because I don't include it in my notes at all, because these other people are barely in the show. Mm-hmm. Ta... The oldest of the Wang kids has three siblings. There is the younger brother, who mm-hmm. we see a couple times, and he's just there to be like, hi, bye, mm-hmm. and then goes out. And then he has two little sisters, mm-hmm. who we only see fucking once, I think. I don't think we see them ever again after they do their whole The Other Generation song. Other than the youngest, because I think that... Because I don't recall seeing little kids at the graduation yeah, no, party. No, I don't recall you're seeing, right. Yeah, I, they like show up to do the song about how, man, the older generation sure doesn't know what's up. Yeah. And then they fucking disappear into the ether. Yeah, it's like, were they part of the acid trip? Did we fabricate them? Are they real? They don't even really state that they're the siblings. <laughs> it's true, they don't. And maybe they're not. I mean, who knows? Because, but at the same time, whose fucking kids are they then? Because it's the Wang house. So what are they doing there? We don't ever see them again. Like, <sighs> they are our sh- they are the shared hallucination with Saw. Saw is just like, man, I wish I had some younger people I could relate with. I yeah. know. And that would understand my fucking weird slang. That's, uh. I don't know that that's... It. I mean, some of it I'm like, yeah, I, I do know what that means. But then some of his slang that he used that was 50s slang, I was like, who fucking used that? <laughs> I've never heard. And I'm trying to remember which ones it was that I was just like, what the fuck do you mean by that, dude? I think it was one of those things of 
he his character almost seemed like somebody who was trying too hard to fit in. Yeah, I, and also I need to remember that this is that the uh, musical itself is written by old white men. True. So true. By this point, they're trying to sound hip. Old white men writes Asian people. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, old white man writes Chinese immigrants. Um, <laughs> has formerly written by Chinese immigrant. Um, okay, so Chop Suey, yeah, yeah. Uh, Sammy, the snake, is at the party and cuts in the buffet line to talk to Mei Li and be like, how do you like Young Wang? Mei Li, is, Mei Li likes Young Wang, but she doesn't know if Young Wang likes her very much. Sammy shits a brick... Sammy shits a bit of a brick when he sees Linda Lowe come in with the man who would be her brother. Sammy slinks away, and Linda and her brother come in, uh, come to Old Wang to ask for Young Wang to take Linda Lowe in holy matrimony. Old Wang almost goes limp from the shock and pulls, God damn it. <laughs> and pulls his Wang spawn aside to chastise him over choosing such a low woman. Linda and her brother are at the buffet line and Sammy shows up to blow Linda's brother's cover and ru and runs him off. Turns out uh, Linda Lowe's brother is just some chode from the club that Sammy is the boss of and Sammy is like, what's the deal Linda? You're my old business. Linda's like, I've been with your Wang for five years and I've gotten nowhere. I want a new young Wang. Sammy is like, well, shit. <laughs> Damn. I'm sorry. Uh, Something exciting is afoot. A Chinese New Year's party. But Old Wang is not all that keen on going out and doing things. He has a great line that really resonates with my homebody self. If you never go out, you can't miss anything. That's some classic Old Wang wisdom right there. <laughs> Sammy tells Old Wang that if he wants to get his son to dump low Linda, it has to happen tonight. And Sammy is the man to make it happen. Oh, and, Lind and uh, low Linda sings again, and at the New Year's party, and it's just, it's... It's a scene. It's a scene. It's a scene. There's dancing, and there's music, and there's singing. It's like when the Macy's Day Parade stops somewhere for a musical number, <laughs> and sometimes the musical number, you're like, oh, I was wanting to see a scene from this show, but not necessarily in the middle of waiting for the Snoopy balloon to come up, but okay, I guess... And then sometimes the musical number is, I wonder what's going on at the Westminster Kennel Club. <laughs> That's... That, that was more what this was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My brain turned off for the scene because I was like, oh, it's... Because I don't like... Like, I'm sure the actress who plays Linda Lowe is great. Yeah. I don't like her character. And so when she is the focus of a scene, I'm just kind of like, mm -hmm. uh-huh. And... Uh-huh. She was one of three actors that had their singing voices dubbed. It was her, oh, Helen, oh my and God. Uh, May Lee's father. I was going to say that I thought her singing bits were good, but she didn't even fucking sing. No. So, okay. Well, that's the one compliment I was going to give her that <laughs> doesn't need to be given. Sammy is hatching a plan at the Celestial Garden, inviting the Wang family over to see that Lo Linda is a not a suitable wife for young Wang. Linda tells Sammy she wants to quit, but he's able to convince her to keep it up only tonight so that he can spring his master plan. When the Wang family shows up, they see Linda's fake brother and their suspicions begin to rise. 
fake brother Sailor, tries to maintain his cover and be like, here are all the girls I boned when I was a sailor. He's setting the stage for Linda to blow her wing proposal. So in his scene, he just does this thing where he's like, oh, I met a girl in France and I met a girl mm-hmm. in Britain. And he's just basically saying about all the different women that he met when he was sailing around the world. And every woman that comes out is an Asian woman dressed up like someone from another country. Mm-hmm. And they're basically... And, they, they're, and it's kind of funny because it seems like they're getting more and more scantily clad yeah. until Linda comes out and she's wearing barely anything. But I actually did notice they did an interesting trick with that. The uh, like spandex or leotard or whatever she was wearing mm-hmm. very closely matched her skin tone. Yeah. So it kind of gave the illusion that she was more naked than she actually was. And that's what they usually do on stage for that. Um, like with... Especially when shows come to Utah... Because <laughs> I remember when uh, Joseph first, or not first came here, but when Joseph came here, they did a uh, behind the scenes at the costume, uh, or for the costumes, and they showed that the women who were scantily clad weren't really scantily clad. They had a full bodysuit with the scantily clad outfit over it. Yeah, so. well, it wasn't, uh, yeah, it was just skin tight. Mm-hmm. So it had to leave everything to the imagination. So. Linda comes out covered in fans only and shakes her moneymaker right in front of Old Wang and the entire Wang clan, sending Old Wang into a coughing fit. Sammy's trap was successfully sprung, and the Wangs are quite upset, rushing out of the club. Sammy laughs at his own deception, but Linda gets the last laugh by dumping a bucket of ice water on his head, much to the joy of the surrounding patrons. Young Wang is understandably upset and does what any disillusioned young man would do, goes out and gets plastered. Linda Lowe's uh, seamless, Linda Lowe's seamstress, Helen, has been crushing on on Ta's Young Wang the entire movie and sees her opportunity and springs into action. She accompanies Young Wang to drink his worries away. So that part is in the book. You were saying that that was the character who mm-hmm. kills herself because of unrequited yep. love. Yep. Which I am very glad did not happen. Well, in, in the book, it is requited for a little bit because she gets him drunk, and then they have a fling for a little bit, and then he leaves and she kills herself. Yeah. Yeah, that... that um, I'm glad that didn't happen. But I also wish what did happen didn't happen. Oh, wait, What? You'll see. Oh. You'll get to it. Okay. Ta stumbles into Helen's bed after the, uh, at her behest and lamented about how his father was right about Linda. Helen then enters Stephen King's The Mist and sings about how she waited for this moment for so long. She goes deeper into the mist, but doesn't encounter any mist monsters. Instead, the mist was apparently infused with LSD, sending Helen into a Broadway acid trip. This scene is so fucking pointless. This, yes. (laughs) Um, So pointless. Where she... It has nothing to do with anything that happens in the show at all. Nothing. <laughs> what Kay says, but I'm going to get into depth on it. Oh, God. Uh, so uh, Helen into a Broadway acid trip where she dances with mannequins dressed in fancy clothing before ultimately finding her way to the acid trip version of Ta Wang. And with Wang in hand, Helen and he dance the scene away. 
This reminds me a bit of the scarf and fan scene from Singing in the Rain. It does. Except Ta sports a mask and multiplies. Helen now finds herself in a scene with four wangs. And despite her attempts to flee, the wangs seize her and proceed to pass her around. The wangs chase her up the scenery and into the arms of Ta. Before the acid wears off and she is pulled back into reality. So that was when I was laughing my ass off because I wanted to make a joke about her getting about her getting passed around the wangs. And then I was like, well, they're not really... Do-. And then they fucking pick her up and start handing her to the other guys in masks. And I'm like, oh my god, this fucking... I wasn't going to make this joke, and then it fucking presented itself. You, Fuck. you can't You can't lob me a softball and expect me to get a strike. I'm just... I'm sorry. It just... I know that you want to have better hopes for me, Kay, oh but... God. you You can blame this movie. You can blame this movie for my shitty jokes. Holy shit. It's the morning after, and Helen is making breakfast for Ta. Mei Lee comes to Helen to ask for her to repair Old Wang's American suit jacket, which Old Wang has destroyed because... Grumpy Old Wang. Mei Lee sees Ta's jacket and shoes and is like, he gave Helen his wang, even though Ta was too drunk to give Helen her t- the tiger bone. And I use tiger bone because in the previous scene they got drunk on tiger bone wine. <sighs> My 14-year-old humor. Ta comes back to the Wang house and tells his father he was a fool, to which the old master of Wangs is like, no shit, but I'm glad you pulled your head out of your ass. <laughs> old Wang has Madame Liang bring Mei Li to him and tries to make the whole this is your future bride thing official, but Mei Li rushes off because she's understandably quite upset. Ta tries to make Mei Li feel better by singing his Wang song. Mei Li tells Ta to shove his love up his Wang and... <laughs> And she tells him she doesn't love him anymore and rushes off. Mei Li and her father leave the Wang house and all is very sad. So Mei Li has a really good scene in this where she's telling him that the first night that she met him in the garden, she knew that she loved him. Mm-hmm. Which, which I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I hate the whole love at first sight bullshit. But, yeah. you know, with her, she, she is, is a precious cinnamon roll. I give her a pass. Yeah, and I give we her need a, to protect her. I give her a pass. We but, need to protect her from this horrible show. But she talks about how when she saw him, she knew that she loved him and that she was so happy that she was going to be his wife. Mm-hmm. And then, and she's like, and I'm telling you this because I need you to know how I feel now. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, I don't love you anymore. And basically he's like, I, I've seen you be philandering with these other women. Mm-hmm. And she's just like, I don't love you anymore. Like, I can't be your wife. And I feel so bad for her in that yeah. scene. Because she's such a sweet, such a sweet woman. Oh, uh, okay. And so she rushes off because she's like, I don't love you anymore. I don't want to be your wife. And then that's when her and her father are like, you know, we must leave. Thank you for your hospitality. And, and mm-hmm. they leave. And old Wang is just looking at his son like, you shithead. Yeah. Now we cut to Sammy, who is playing poker in his penthouse. And the fellas are giving him grief about carrying a torch for low Linda. Sammy does the typical douchebag thing of like, Sammy don't care, carry no torch for no broad. Broads carry torches for Sammy. But Sammy's mommy, who apparently controls all of the businesses, all of the businesses associated with his family, comes in, and everybody leaves because she's the scary type. 
Lolinda comes in and Sammy has to has to be like, oh, this is an employee and totally not a hoe bag I'm banging and ashamed to tell you of. Mother of Sam leaves the room so Sammy and Linda can discuss their business. The business of giving us another Broadway acid trip. Yeah. But not before Sammy proposes to Linda, who is more than happy to take Sammy's mommy's money in marriage. It ain't saying... I ain't saying Linda is a gold digger, but somebody should get that bitch a helmet and a shovel. <laughs> you like that? <laughs> Damn. Oh, yeah. Acid Trip is uh, Sammy and Linda's perfect future life in which things are fancy and odd and just dumb. To give you an idea... A cowboy and an Indian come out of a giant wall-mounted black-and-white TV and proceed to chase the family around in a scene that is right out of a fucking Scooby-Doo episode. Yeah. Um, Kay did make a good point. The way that they did the clothing and makeup for the cowboy and Indian, who are black-and-white, looked really good. Yeah. Like, they did look like they were black-and-white characters chasing around color characters. Mm -hmm. And it looked really good, but it was the only positive thing about that scene. Yeah, the rest of that scene can That's, go in the trash. That scene was, was, it was an acid trip. And, and the there, little kid was cute. Sure. But that was it. Sure, I guess. Yeah. I'm still not over the woman reading a book while limboing and having a guy carry her while they're walking, like, six inches yeah, above the floor. I, they were practicing being, like, a human table or something. I have... I cannot... I don't know. I cannot fathom. I don't I know what that scene was. Fathom. Like, I hope shit yeah. like that isn't in the musical. Like, in the stage I version. Don't, I don't think so. I think this is a case kind of like, with Singing in the Rain, they add in the Broadway acid trips, because... We're using film. Yeah, they're like, since we're using film, let's do all of this bizarre shit that doesn't help the show in any way. Yeah. Uh, it just, okay, okay. The, tr the acid trip finally wears off, and we cut back to Linda and Sammy snuggling, singing about their perfect future life. And that brief little moment is actually kind of sweet. Mm-hmm. But fuck both of those people. Uh... We are treated to a creepy scene, which I have no idea how accurate it is. It's a legal court-like situation where Maylee's father is like, here's the marriage contract. If you would like to inspect my daughter like a farm animal, you may. Sammy's mother is thrilled, but she's the only one. Everyone else has already been watching the movie and has seen what has happened. Mm -hmm. Sammy's mommy takes May Lee and her father back to her place to introduce them to Sammy, who she's certain will be so excited to know that the woman he tried to pawn off in the earlier scene is here to be his wife. Mm -hmm. So in this court, it's it's like this Chinese, they, they call it the family association. Yeah. And so it's, I don't, I don't know because... I have no idea... Because they start are talking about marriage contracts and all this, it's just it's. I don't know. Okay, you have you have nothing further to say about it other than agreeing with me that it's fucked up. I don't. Uh, yeah, I have no idea. I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I I sit here and I go, how much of it was from C Y Lee and how much of it was 
Rogers and Hammerstein and Gene Kelly. I guess we'll see when we see the stage version, because if it's in there, then it's probably it's more C.Y. Lee. It's a different plot. Oh. The stage version that we're going to oh, be watching. Right. It's, like, super different. That's right, because it follows the father, not... It, it still follows the son a bit, but it follows the generational issues rather than the... The love... Loved quintuple. The, the fucking love pyramid mm-hmm. scheme. And it almost seems like it follows Mei Lee more than anything else. Like, Mei Lee and then... In the stage version? Yeah. Like, I was looking at plot synopses and going, oh, this... This seems way more interesting. <laughs> so we'll have to wait till next week before we know. Mm-hmm. Sammy is like, well, shit, I have to marry the woman my mom picked out or she'll cut me out of the family business. Sammy tries to take Mei Lee on a date to show her what he does with his nights. Sammy likes gambling, clubbing, and such, canoodling with women who aren't his betrothed. Sammy gives a great song, though, probably one of my favorite songs in the show so far, mm-hmm. singing about all the reasons why Maylee should not marry him. Mm-hmm. To sum it up, Sammy is unpredictable, unreliable, philandering prick who won't be around for the kids or her because he has a nightlife. Mm-hmm. That sums up basically when he's like, don't marry me. Like, it's it's actually a pretty funny scene. Yeah. Uh Poor Maylee, man. She's just like, I will still be your wife. I yeah. will still be there when just, you get home. Oh. And it's just like, and he's like, just trying to be like, you don't want to marry me. I'm going to be a shitty husband to a sweet woman like you. Which is true. God. He would be. Uh, I don't imagine he would be that good of a husband to someone like Lolinda either. Yeah. Okay. Maylee is enjoying a quiet evening at home when Ta shows up with a Wang gift for Maylee. And they talk about how Maylee likes American movies, but she doesn't understand why they go around killing each other. Ta tries to explain that movies need to be exciting and that sex and violence sell in America. Maylee is like, sex? Like kissy face? Ta gives Maylee a Wang kiss, and Maylee is like, crap, I don't really want to marry Sammy, and tries to tell her father, who is like, but the contract has been signed and sealed. <laughs> We agreed to sign the contract. The, the, the contract has been signed and sealed. Like, it's the marriage contract. You can't break the marriage contract. Mm-hmm. It says so in the contract. Mm-hmm. I guess. I don't know. Uh, Maylee gets an idea from a racist black and white TV. Oh, my God. And the wedding ceremony, as he, and at the wedding ceremony to Sammy says, I am here illegally and I cannot marry your son. Uh, Sammy Mommy is not happy with that and is like, the wedding is off. My son cannot marry this woman. Young Wang springs into action and is like, fuck that shit. I'll marry Maylee, even if we both get deported. <laughs> I've been an ass clown this entire movie and I need to make things right before it's over. Mm-hmm. I need to wrap this up. <laughs> yeah. I need to end. This. They, they, they end with a double wedding, Sammy with Linda and Ta with Maylee. Uh, then it ends abruptly. The end. Yep, that's that's what happens. Uh, and then they play the earworm again. Then they play the earworm again of a hundred million miracles. One hundred million miracles. And your brain do, just do, 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 sits do, there do, and do. goes, this is committing to memory forever. A <laughs> hundred million miracles. <laughs> the show, uh, so first off, You've heard my jokes. Hopefully you got a chuckle, even if they were uh, stupid and offensive, and hopefully they weren't too offensive. Um, so yes, mm-hmm. I am sorry, but... 
I, I should have said something sooner. Your swine of a husband was not properly informed beforehand, so he just decided to roll around in the mud. Uh, <laughs> Luckily, uh, I don't think you'll be able to... I don't think that as much of that will come up with the revival. I promise as many be, opportunities for it. I promise to be better. And I promise to pronounce people's names right the first time. <laughs> so the funny thing about this show is I was actually, um, I was decently entertained. Mm -hmm. Like I, as we're watching it, I was enjoying the show. Yeah. Uh, except for about half of the musical parts. Mm -hmm. So And the uncomfortable feelings. And the uncomfortable feelings. Uh yeah, oh god, yeah. Everything that was super chauvinistic and like possessive of women. It just the, yeah, I have issues with treating people like property. Mm -hmm. I wonder why. I mean Yeah. I would like to say that it's because I'm a thinking feeling human, but I just read a bunch of Wang jokes, so <laughs> I don't know how truthful that is. We all slip up sometimes, my dear. <laughs> uh, I have made bad jokes in the past, too. <laughs> we are not immune from bad jokes. And even though I'm done with those, I, like, want to keep making those jokes. Oh, my God. Because that's the kind of asshole I am. Uh, but, yeah, this show, the movie version, it, it's hovering somewhere, probably in, like, the bottom third of shows we've seen. Yeah, uh, I would agree. It's serviceable. It's not great. I can see why it lost money, honestly. Mm -hmm. It was not particularly good. Uh, people in it were good. I, I think yeah. some standout characters. The uh, uh, Master Wang, his character was mm -hmm. was pretty good. The actor uh, was really good. Yeah, Madame uh, Liang was, was good. Uh, Sammy, even though he's a despicable chode his mm -hmm. character was entertaining he's, he's i mean he's the typical character you love to hate yeah so he's there to just kind of be like ah you despicable so-and-so mm -hmm. uh he was entertaining just about everybody else though may oh sorry sorry may may so may lee is chinese mayonnaise she she's very bland but that's kind of her character. She is mm -hmm. quiet. She is reserved. Mm -hmm. She was brought up to be property. So I and, and she's, I mean, when you're coming to a place for the first time, too, it's overwhelming as fuck to come from one culture to another. But, yeah. And sure. they, just... they don't really do it in this, but it looks like they do it in the one that we're going to be watching. Um because they don't really have her have the true culture shock reactions. Like, they have her act very reserved about everything. Yeah. And but it sounds like it's going to be different in the revival. Gotcha. Which, which, I mean, mm -hmm. the thing is, like, that's the thing, though, is she was so quiet and reserved in the whole show that she had, she had the least personality mm -hmm. out of everybody. Uh, and it's weird for me to say that because I also am just like, no, surround and shield and protect this sweet, delicate cinnamon roll who is too good for this movie and yeah, this world. deserves and, a better show. fuck you, Ta, you piece of shit. Uh, and, you know, I can, I'm kind of sitting here going, and that's actually another problem with the show because it does some of the stereotyping of, 
oh, well, Asian women are quiet and reserved and have to, and are always this way. And it's like, even, even stereotypes that aren't completely outwardly negative can still be negative because it still paints a picture of everybody. It's, it's like the whole, um, thing when I was growing up that was like, oh, are you going to play basketball? Because you're black? Because I'm black. And I'm like, well, first off, my joints will fall apart the minute I try to run. And second off, fuck you. <laughs> go go eat a dick. It makes its own gravy. <laughs> <laughs> Can we make that a t-shirt? Because <laughs> that's a conversation starter. Walk into a room with a t-shirt that says, eat a dick. It makes its own gravy. I think I can I think I can hear people clicking the unsubscribe button now. Yeah. And not because of my Wang jokes, because of that. I'm just because kidding. of my my new uh favorite thing to say to people <sighs> that I've only just now said publicly. Your, your new favorite tell off. <laughs> my new favorite tell off. Um but yeah, no, it's it's one of those things that this was really good because it was an acting vehicle for so many Asian actors that wouldn't have had this. Yeah, that's true. But at the same time, you're still having to do stereotypes that are negative. Yeah. Even if they're not outwardly negative, it's still not. You, you, the thing that was kind of interesting about that, though, is when you were talking about what the person said, oh, it, it, as long as I do as many uh, stereotype jokes as I can, uh, I can get laughs out of it. Mm -hmm. uh, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Yeah. I thought it was going to be... To be way worse. To be way worse. But I can. But as I was watching it, I could still see what you were saying. Yeah. Because um, it, it is. It, it isn't... And, it's, and then I can see where it's the guilty pleasure for people. Because I have my own guilty pleasure movies that are like... As a black person, I should not like these movies, <laughs> but I do. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know how much more I have to say on the show. It was yeah. like it was it was entertaining enough. Mm -hmm. I don't think I'd ever watch it again. Yeah, I am more excited for next week's show. Me too. I I am more excited to uh, to watch the revival version. However, we will have a show in between watching the revival and this. You want to tell them about bonus episode? Yes, there will be a mini episode because when we went to uh, our local taco time, we found a flyer for a high school production of Elf, the musical. So we will be watching that on Thursday and <laughs> reviewing it. And then hopefully it gets posted by Friday afternoon if I can edit it quickly. Um, because it's one of those things where I'm like, you know what? Let's try and support the high school arts as much as possible. The high school arts programs and local arts programs. Um, Which so I, it'll be a bit of a different one because Warren won't be able to take notes during yeah, that. I am all for supporting mm -hmm. uh, high school and the arts. Mm -hmm. I am just... Not excited for this show. I'm not an elf fan. Yeah. Uh, elf... <laughs> Elf is okay. Okay, we'll get we'll get into it more. We'll get into it yeah. more later. I I have some things that's Yeah, and I don't I've never seen the musical of it. 
So, and the Bonsai last... I'd probably like the musical more than the That's movie. the thing, is I wonder if we will. Because the last chance that I would have had to see Elf, it was... I was uh, unable to afford to go because I was no longer a student at the U, so I couldn't get my student discount when it was gotcha. there. Uh, it, well, it was at Pioneer Theater, and if I remember right, they did U of U discounts back in the day. I don't know if they still do. Um, they might. But anyway, so it'll be at Corner Canyon High School, and so if you're in Utah, I would say um, they... I, I am betting because... It looks like their theater department is really top-notch. Um, I would say go check them out and support them. They're running uh, their show from uh, November 14th to the 18th minus Sunday because we're in Utah. Mm -hmm. um, and they even have a matinee on Saturday if you would want to go see that. It's at Corner Canyon High School. Uh, you can buy their tickets online at cornercanyontheater.com. Um, this is a free plug because we, we are just excited to go see it, but it's like, hey, support the arts, support high schools, and... Yeah, some of the best productions we've seen of other have shows been have high been schools. high school productions, so I'm like, yeah, just because just cause they're yeah. young kids doesn't mean they're not going to do a good job, I mean... And honestly, like, if you... Because a lot of the high schools, they do depend on people from the outside just coming to see it. It's not just family and friends they that's why they put up posters everywhere because i personally never did high school theater because you were doing real theater i was, I was doing community and pro, and semi-professional theater so yeah you yeah even when you were a kid you were getting paid to do theater yeah so. and so it's but at the same time it's like if you see a flyer for a show go see it because generally the casts will be okay, unless it's Carousel. Thank you. Thank you for adding that little asterisk, because I was just about to say, unless it's Carousel. Or... In which case, boycott the shit out of it, and... Granted, okay. I'm about to share an unpopular opinion of the one show that I don't like, which is the last five years, but... That was the one that we saw that mm -hmm. our friend was in. He was playing the cello for it. That... Oh. I don't like that show, but... Yeah, yeah. For, I mean, there's plenty of there's. It's fair. It's, yeah, it's fair. I mean, I don't regret going to see it because mm -hmm. we were supporting our friend. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that that's a show that left a very bitter taste in my mouth, and so I just it it's my carousel. <laughs> <laughs> um, but even then, you know, just support your local theaters. And so, uh, if you're in Utah and you've never seen Elf, it's at Corner Canyon High School. Um, we just, we saw the sign and I went, we're fucking going to that. Oh yeah. <laughs> if, if you're, uh, on our discord channel, K was funny. We walk right up to the door. They just pull out their phone and they're just like, click. And yep. then and we're go, going there. I've got a big grin. You can't see it. <laughs> but yeah. So, uh, any more thoughts on flower drum song or on your impending elfing? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'll have more to say about my future elfing in our next, uh, mm -hmm. in our bonus episode that we'll be doing, our bonus mini-sode. Uh, again, I just want to uh, apologize for my uh, racial stereotype jokes towards uh, Chinese-American community 
and I hope that people are forgiving, and I hope somebody got at least a laugh out of that, mm -hmm. because... And I will remember in the future to, to let you know when there's an issue that a different community faces, because... You may have to approach uh, some things with the, uh, the mindset of, how would I explain this to a 12-year-old boy? Okay, that's fair. Because that's, that's, fair. that's where my sense of humor is locked into. Mm -hmm. You know that the only tricks I have up my sleeves are dick jokes. This is, is fair. Yeah. I mean, Richard, even though he got killed by a giant last week, he still is in our hearts. There's more humor where Richard came from. Yes. So there, I, I have a feeling that he's from a long line of prestigious Well, I know of people. his brother Johnson, uh, Johnson Humor. Johnson uh, Humor, yes. Peter Humor. I for, oh, I forgot about yeah, the illustrious Humor. Humor Brothers. Yeah. So we'll we'll probably still get visits even though Richard is dead. Well, Richard had a son, don't you know? Is Richard Humor the second? So there's still Richard Humor oh, out thank there. Oh, thank God. Oh, yeah. thank God. Yeah. I, do we have to send anything to his son because we let his dad go into that cold night? Uh, maybe just take him out for a stiff drink. Okay, okay, we can, uh, we can give Dick a stiff drink. <laughs> the face that you just made. <laughs> it was because when I said stiff drink, and then it didn't seem like you were going to take the bait right away, but then mm -hmm. you went along with give Dick a stiff drink. Mm -hmm. Get it? Because stick, stiff. Some of this is going to need to be edited out. I was a little bit rambly in this. It's okay. It's okay. We're tired. This was an odd one. Yeah. So... And I wrestled with my, my, my desire to make dick jokes <laughs> and my desire to also not be a douchebag. <laughs> so those are two powerful forces, man. Like, it's, it's like positive and negative. Mm -hmm. Like, they're just circling each other. And it's just, it's, oh man, they just... It's like binary stars just spinning in. They're just, they're feeding off each other. And it's like, make a dick joke, don't be an asshole. Make a dick joke, don't be an asshole. <laughs> so that, I think, will do it for this week's episode with Flower Drum Songs. So uh, if you like the episode, feel free to leave a review. Or if you want to tell Warren, what the hell, man? <laughs> that is totally fair. Yeah. You can hop onto the uh, our our channel at the Discord. The, sorry. Gas bubble from all the dick jokes. If you want to come uh, yell at me in our uh, Discord channel, I will absolutely accept responsibility and agree with you over whatever you want to say to me. Yep. So, so um, the and we've got a link to the Discord in our website, tonedefmusical.com. It's where you can also get links to our Twitter and Facebook. I do need to put Instagram up there. Um, but if you want to just follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, it's Tone Deaf Musical on all three of those. Um, we have our Pussy Pie shirts. <laughs> Poppin' Pussies and Pies. Yep, Poppin' Pussies and Pies shirts available. Proudly presented to you from the Barker and Lovett Bakery. Yes, um, with Puss and Pie, the lovable mascot of yep. Barker and Lovett Bakery. Um and yeah, uh, 
Also, if you don't use iTunes, but you do still want to leave a review, you can also do that on uh, Podchaser. Um, I believe, I can't remember if CastBox has that function or not. I'll have to look, but yeah, um, you can, reviews help out people a lot. Um, yeah, yeah, I can't think of anything else. Um, so we'll, we'll see you guys again on Friday with Warren's introduction to the Elf musical, which will be exciting. Yeah. And it'll be a little palate cleanser before we watch... Flower Drum Song 2, 1002. Uh, yeah, yeah. What Kay said. What Kay said. Buddy the Elf, what's your favorite color? Hi, buddy. Blue. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much for joining us this week. Yeah, thank you so much for listening. That'll be it for this week. I'm Kay. I'm Warren. And this has been Tone Deaf. Deaf.